0: This evening I'm going to talk about the uh, Kanda concept as a model of me or a model of image of self. And um, typically I will start with a brief survey. It's too late to change anything, but still I, I'm curious to know how many of you are familiar with the Kanda concept? So, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> Uh, i'll uh, structure the talk uh, like this i'll give a an introduction to the concept and why i'm i think it's important and then i'll uh, um, describe the five kanda in in detail to tell you just what they are what's meant by them it's a bit unfamiliar the concept and uh, thirdly i'll uh, give a few examples that hopefully will clarify how, how you can actually use these in your meditation practice. And uh, lastly, I'll um, give a few quotes by the Buddha, what, what he had to say about the Kanda and why what he thought was... <laughs> <Well, it's>, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's essential uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um kanda or in pali or skanda in sanskrit is uh, a strange term that's why i i haven't translated it in the in the title of the talk either it literally means heaps or piles so, like, there's a, a khanda of mats over there in the corner, or there's a conda of blankets here. Or so it's, it's a very common word, li- really. It doesn't mean anything special uh, in that sense. But and the Buddha used it in a in a metaphoric sense, which um, goes quite beyond that of just being heaps. But I think it's important to see this as well. It's not something special. It's just. Piles of things. And I'll just mention these five kandas briefly to start with. I'll go into it uh, more in detail later, as I said. The first is form. It's called form or matter. The second is called uh, feeling tone or vedana, which we might have mentioned a few times. The third is perception. Or sanya, uh, the fourth kanda is formations uh, or sankara, and the fifth and last kanda is called consciousness. And I, I really think it's uh, important to see just not just as an intellectual concept, as a construct to to understand Buddhist theory but as something that you can really use in your meditation practice. And I'll come back to that, but sort of just to keep that in mind, it's that's the idea behind it. Um, I'd like to make a little link to yesterday evening's talk. It's a, uh, a bit of a stretch, but there is a link. Uh, um, Sheng Yen, the Master Sheng Ursula talked about, was a Chan master, and in Chan, as in... Japanese Zen or in Mahayana generally, the, the Heart Sutra is a, a very prominent sutra. It's really one of the most uh, important sutras that is recited often. And uh, I always found it attractive—a a little bit of Zen envy there. You know this this uh, this um, beautiful name, and then. Uh, even if you don't know the Heart Sutra, I think you might be familiar with uh, one line that's uh, very often quoted as, uh, um, form is no other than emptiness and emptiness is no other than form. I always thought that sounded extremely cool. I didn't understand what <laughs> what, what it meant or it didn't really make sense, but it sounded really cool. and. Uh, 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 and actually, this uh, this refers to the first kanda, and the, the Heart Sutra is is about uh, or uses the the five kanda to show emptiness. And it's quite uh, interesting to to have a brief look at it. The the content of the Heart Sutra is that Avalokiteshvara, who is depicted here, uh, the um, bodhisattva of compassion of karuna. Um, he has, uh, through the perfection of wisdom, prachna paramita uh, or panya paramita, uh, he has come to understand this that these khandhas are empty of self in a way. And he tells who, whom does he tell? He tells Sāriputta or sariputra in, in Sanskrit, who was the the Buddha's one of the two leading disciples in Buddha's and classically it said to, to that he was foremost in wisdom so he's the he's the the intelligent guy so on a symbolic level i think it's quite interesting you have the the symbol of compassion that tells the symbol of wisdom uh, ab- about emptiness and uh, uh <laughs> yeah uh, d- these two aspects coming together and um Uh, um, I'll quote a little bit. Uh, um, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva practices the perfection of wisdom, Prajnaparamita, and then clearly sees that all five skandhas are empty of suffering and hardship. Sariputra, form is not different from emptiness, emptiness is not different from form. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And then he goes on with the other four kanda feeling tone, perception, volition, and consciousness. Also, says always, there, uh, feeling tone is no other than uh, emptiness, emptiness is no other than feeling tone. I know it still won't make sense, but I hope that by the end of the talk it will. Uh, <laughs> So the the core of the, the statement, actually, in the Heart Sutra is that uh, these, these five Kanda is what we perceive to be ourselves to, to be our personality or to be our me. But that in actual fact, they're they're empty of a, per- a person or a me. And that's what he's found out by perfecting wisdom. So I, I think that this is probably... The most prominent uh, mention of the the five kanda or five skanda in in Buddhist texts, but there's also um, uh, uh, another very prominent uh, mentioning of it, and that's in the second discourse of the Buddha, the the discourse on not self. So uh, this already, I think, shows the importance of the. Of the topic because I mean Buddha had a he was just freshly enlightened he had lots of time <laughs> yeah he could think about you know what I mean he had lots of time to think about what he would should talk about so in the first discourse he he he, he talked about the four noble truths and and in the second he talked about not self and used these uh, kanda to show was that. The Kantas show that actually the, the what we perceive as an enduring, independent, existing self is not so. It's it's not an endu- it's empty of self. And he, in a way, it, it's quite similar. And there might be some influence here. He says, uh, "Form monks is not self." If form were self, this form would not lend itself to disease. It would be possible to say with regard to form, let this form be thus. Let this form not be thus. But precisely because form is not self, form lends itself to disease. And it is not possible to say with regard to form, let this form be thus. Let this form not be thus, unquote. So this typical Buddhist language, a bit complicated. I think Fred said it a lot easier the other day when he said, uh, uh, if you try to make your right hand feel cold, you will not be able to do that. And that's actually, that's what's meant here. If you... (laughs) <laughs> what, uh, when it said let, let this form be thus that's i mean that's in, in a way an, another way of saying i i can't uh, uh, just decide the this for this form or this hand or whatever should be in a specific way it's impossible i can wish it were in another way but it it's impossible so that he says is sort of a proof that it's not self And um, so I think that uh, th- this, this example and also this uh, prominent uh, featuring of this Kanda concept in, in uh, Buddhist texts uh, have to do with the fact that Kanda, the Kanda concept is used as a concept to show this process of what um, uh, s- some meditation teachers also like to call selfing sort of the the process how i construct self all of the time and in it is in coming together of these when these f- it's said that when these five elements come together that's when i have the impression of self and and if i cling to that impression that's when i uh, create suffering for myself and uh, th- 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 that's why this is uh, so important i think and I know we've we've heard all of this a lot of times, and we we know well uh, this the thing about the self, and so it's it's not really th- does. But I still think, for at least for myself, somewhere in there, there is this strange idea that there's some little control room up in my head that sort of orders me what to do and. Uh, 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 some little guy at the at the table uh, pulling levers and and making me do things and uh, it's strange it's it's a sort of a pseudo-scientific view of how self works and i think it's very deeply ingrained in us and uh I remember a a very old Woody Allen film, uh, everything you always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask. There is this scene where you have, it looks like Star Trek really, It's, it's up in the guy's head and all these men in white coats are running around making him do things and I think that's really it's not there's no coincidence that that Woody Allen chose this image for how our idea of ourselves and uh, um, but the the suffering part is also I think quite evident Uh, uh, David Loy who's a, a Buddhist author he he points to that, and he says that the the there's inevitably suffering coming with it because the 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 idea we have or of of ourselves is is a psychological construct, but it, there isn't re- any really proper basis for it. So we we just we we try to reinforce it and but that doesn't give it more basis it just makes us suffer more because it's uh, maybe becomes more obvious that it's volatile and, and it's really just a a concept we have and maybe as uh, in brackets it's it's really not to say that there isn't a functional self there is a functional self otherwise you wouldn't have been able to come up here to do this retreat it's it's obvious but this Uh, what it's about here is the identification with an idea of an independent, uh, enduring, self-existing entity that we perceive as self. And and that's the idea, uh, the Buddha says, actually is causing suffering, the the clinging to this concept. And... uh, in the, on the other hand what's uh, said as as emptiness can can be th- viewed uh, the other way around. you could say inst- instead of uh, stressing the emptiness part we can also stress the interdependence or interconnectedness say that everything's empty of uh, self in that sense can also be viewed as we're all really connected and that that means nothing happens independently of anything else and we already have talked about how uh, we if we like it or not we all breathe the same air especially in this room and uh, and this interconnectedness really is the flip side of the emptiness And um, Thich Nhat Hanh say, uh, uses the term interbeing. I think that's quite a nice word as well to say, to show that we're all really connected and we can't pretend that we, we act or do or live just independently of, of anything else, really. And uh, this is getting onto even thinner eyes but i think the the kanda concept can really help us also get a different view of rebirth uh, rebirth is a very unpopular theme with meditation teachers but it's a very popular theme with meditators Always when you have question and answer sessions there's somebody who asks about rebirth uh, and i think what, one of the problems with rebirth is that we have such a Strange idea of of what is reborn. We, I mean, it's often on the level of I was uh, Cleopatra's hairdresser, or uh, <laughs> or uh, I helped Nero burn Rome, or something like that. And and if if we <laughs> if we see this 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 is that this is such a crude idea of of person or or me i mean it's it's all it's always full of self i mean these these ideas of rebirth are so self so personality filled it's incredible and uh, and um if we can start to see self more as a process uh, an ongoing come a process as of, of things coming together that we perceive as self maybe it's easier or well, not really easier but maybe we get a more realistic idea of what, what could be meant b- with rebirth or we could also come to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter which might be a very sensible one <laughs> 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 so, so <laughs> <laughs> I, th- uh, I d- before this afternoon I complained to, I said to Carol I don't have any funny things in my <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm happy uh <laughs> So uh, to some I think that the, the the kanda concept really goes to show a few uh things that are very central in my mind to, to buddhist theory and this is the the stress on processes and not uh states or um, or or um on actions and m- more on actions and not on things and uh or on on relationships more than on single entities, independent entities, Uh, or or you could even say that uh, the the focus is on systems and dependencies. In a sense, I think it's uh, Buddhist theory is also systems theory in a way, very uh, ancient type of systems theory. And uh, with regard to the Kanda concept, uh, uh, Buddha says that what we uh, what we perceive as person or me or so is a uh, momentary coming together of these five kanda these five heaps of things, so we have one heap of form, one heap of feeling tone, one heap of perception, one heap of formations, and one heap of consciousness it's Difficult to imagine that, to visualize that, but I hope it gets clearer when I go into the uh, different kandas individually. And th- the point, uh, B- uh, Buddha's point here being that we habitually cling to this process. It's not a problem that it's <laughs> a process or so, but our clinging to it, because it's so volatile and changing all of the time. It's really difficult to... Um, uh, avoid suffering in clinging to it. And uh, as I said in the beginning, it's—I think—it's really an invitation also to to try afterwards uh, when you're meditating. Uh, see, it. I mean, does this make sense? Is it helpful at all? C- c- can I look at myself or can I look at my experience through the lens of this khandha? These five things, or is it just too too strange or awkward? But have a go at it. So and and maybe a, a, a last point to the introduction. Uh, I think it's important that the, understood rightly. I think this the Kanda concept is th- that's something that's uh, all encompassing. It's not like you know I have blue eyes, brown hair, and five kanda. But uh, I've, uh, five kanda can is a concept that can be descri- used to describe the entire experience of what's happening now. It's not something I have or anybody has, but it's sort of one way of looking at everything that's right now. So, uh, so much for an introduction. I'd uh, now describe those five khandas one by one and a little bit more in detail. So the first kanda, uh, called form traditionally, or matter, uh, or in Pali, rupa, is the, the physical aspect of things. W- you know, w- really what's physical in the sense of tangible, uh, Matter in that sense, and uh, I, I one way of uh, accessing Rupakanda or uh, form is through um, the, the four elements that may or may not have been mentioned here in the instructions I, I'm, I don't really remember but but it's, uh, four elements are often used in, in meditation instructions as well uh, earth. Wind, fire, and water, as another way also at, uh, of looking at experience, and so you you um, uh, these these uh, four elements ha- have a- also sort of a way of categorizing the the physical aspects. So uh, earth would be solidity, the or expansion of things. The wind would be move, movement, movement that's in physical things or bodies. Uh, the fire element obviously has to do with temperature, and the water element with uh, cohesion. That's not so obvious, but you know what keeps things from falling apart, what keeps uh, things together. And if we meditate with with the um, uh, approach of the four elements that it's also i mean a way to see change see how heat see how the fire element changes how heat increases or decreases how movement changes and uh i think it can be a useful uh method as such but also here it's a it's a way of accessing the matter or rupa kanda The second uh, kanda, feeling tone or vedana uh, we've mentioned that a few times Uh, in older texts it's often just translated with feeling but that's not very helpful because uh, if we talk about feeling we often think of emotions as well and vedana is very simple in that sense It's it's a Triage of any current experience into pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant would be the correct term, which we frankly often think is even worse than unpleasant because if it's, uh, it's boring, we'd rather have it a bit unpleasant, I think, than uh, than boring. Uh, but uh and this is I uh, really I think uh, a very useful tool in meditation to just see how how we in it's a bit depressing as well, see how incessantly we're we're always categorizing whatever is happening in pleasant, unpleasant or neutral or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And uh and I mean it's really with it's uh, with regard to uh Mental states—it's regard with regard to sights, to sounds, to uh, anything really, to the food we're eating. To and and if we really focus on that uh, perspective, it's it's really incredible how how strong that force is of always making this plus minus or uh, sort of zero of of any experience. So I think that's. Um, uh, it's to me it's quite clear why he, uh, Buddha uh, put this in as a, an uh, inevitable component of what we consider ourselves because it's so it's so ingrained to, to be always judging in that way and uh, and see also how we're always searching for pleasure pleasurable experiences and uh, avoiding the unpleasant. And I also think it's probably one of the main uh, features of of meditation to to see uh, what what happens if we don't react to vedana, see that we have something unpleasant and try to just be with it without reacting, or have something pleasant and try to be without uh, with it without reacting, and. I think a lot of insights, at least f- for myself, I can say, uh, have come only by this simple thing of just watching my reaction or non-reaction to pleasant or unpleasant experiences. So we had the first kanda was formed, the second feeling tone. The third kanda is uh, called perception, or in Pali, sanya in this context perception has a, a quite a specific meaning it's not just perception in general it's a, a discerning quality a quality of making distinctions or to discriminate and um, a, a precondition for perception to work is that we have had previous experiences if we don't have any experiences previously, or if we don't have any memory of our previous experiences, perception in this sense uh, wouldn't work, because it's the const—it's like the constant uh, categorizing or labeling or naming of what we experience. So I would the, the, the little thing that goes on. I say, pillar lamp statue flower candle cloth mat uh, tara swiss american uh g- gong and and i mean this happens all of the time without uh without the fact that we would consciously notice it but but it's and and it's um, um on the one hand we could say it's what we uh categorize our world but in a way it's the other way around we construct our world I don't know maybe you've seen this uh, there's this postcard or poster uh, in in the shops you buy the incense where it says uh, Buddha quote it is your mind that creates this world and I think that's a reference to this process of perception in that sense that we really uh, we make sense of the sense impressions we have by naming them re- referring to previous experiences naming them putting them in our little drawers and we have a enormous filing cabinet where we have space for all our experience to put in and if it's there's no place for it uh we don't know what to do of it there's this i don't know if it's true but there's this old story that uh um, um, American Indians, when Columbus's ships came, that they didn't see them because there was no previous experience. They they couldn't make sense these and these were large ships. Uh, so uh, th- that would be a, an example of how this could really work. And if if this perception faculty. Doesn't function. We really just have uh, an incessant flow of of sensory information without meaning. It's just uh, colors, sounds, smells w- that just are perceived, but they don't. They they really don't have any meaning. And uh, I think there uh, th- there's also a bit. You could say that. To see that there could be instances in meditation where, you, when you get a little glimpse of that, to just perceive things and you notice before you start calling it a pillar or a lamp or a Buddha statue, what that that there's something before that. And um, I imagine that's also a pathology of that, a, a psychosis, for instance, where you don't make sense of things because you can't refer to previous experiences. So but i I don't know really about that but uh it it's uh, um it's really a sense making of our sense impressions i'll leave schopenhauer i want i wanted to have schopenhauer in but it's, <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> So the first uh, kanda is form, the second is feeling tone, and uh, the third is perception, and the fourth is formations. This is, if you hear a word like that, you know it's some kind of Buddhist term that you've translated it and now it's in your native tongue, but still it doesn't make any sense. So it's uh, just something that doesn't translate well. the, the Pali term or Sanskrit is uh, sankara, And uh, sankara or formations have a lot to do with volition, uh, with intention, with will, with emotional or mental states. It, it's a bit of uh, uh, a tricky category because there, there's such a lot of different things in it and uh, you could even put it bluntly and say uh, everything that doesn't have uh, place in one of the other four kandas goes into formations Uh, uh, um, uh, maybe to illustrate I think a good illustration of what formations are is in the traditional Tibetan wheel of life depiction you might have seen Uh, this wheel that's held by the Lord of Death, uh, and and there the po- um, formations sankara is symbolized by a potter, uh, um, a man or a woman sitting uh, doing a pot from clay or something like that. So uh, what's stressed here is the the creative ac- aspect of uh, formations of sankara, and uh, th- so that that's an important part of it, and in our practice although it has um, a lot to do with not with creativity but also with reactivity it's the things we don't want or what you know, how we react to what we uh what vedanas for instance so uh, all our mental uh, aversions our wanting etc all of that is in the sankara And really, everything: mindfulness, worry, interest, doubt, etc. There's really a lot in there. (laughs) So it's maybe the the category the 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 fourth cunda is maybe the one that's a bit um, uh, the most difficult to to really grasp um, closely. So uh, we have form, feeling, tone, perception, formations, and the last. Kanta is called consciousness, and consciousness here is uh, uh, vijnana in uh, Pali, it's the uh, strictly uh, sense consciousness, that is, it's related to the six senses, the five senses we normally talk about, plus the mind, which is uh, in, in Buddhist terms is Uh, the sense that perceives thoughts and emotions and is treated as uh, any of the other five sense organs. So consciousness is always only in relationship to these uh, uh, six senses and it's not a separate thing. Again, not like this Woody Allen thing, you know, sitting up in the head waiting for things to be conscious of. It's a It's fairly easy the way it's described. It's always, it needs a sense object, something, yeah, an object. It needs a functioning sense organ and it needs contact. If any of these three are missing, there will be no consciousness in that sense. So, you have a color for instance, you have an eye that's working and you have a contact. I can see the color of the mat. And then we talk about sense consciousness, uh, seeing consciousness. Or we have a sound, an ear that's working and the contact between the ear and the sound. And then we have hearing consciousness. Or there might be an emotion and I have the heart mind which perceives this and there's contact. And then I have uh, uh, consciousness of this emotion. So hearing consciousness, for instance, if there is no sound, there is no hearing consciousness. It's not like some consciousness waiting there for the next sound to come. Like uh, I mean, you, you could imagine it like this microphone. I mean, this microphone is here waiting for a sound. If I talk or not, but in a, in Buddhist terms, uh the, uh, there 's no such thing if the, if there 's no sound there 's no uh, hearing consciousness, even if the microphone is turned on and uh, you could say in general it 's not it 's um, easy for us to imagine these six uh, sen- uh, consciousness types as like six sensors out there waiting for sounds or sights or whatever but it 's really quite clear that it's only you only talk about it when all of the three things are there. The object, the sense organ and the contact. And if one is missing, it's not there. And uh, no somebody in the background waiting or sitting at the control panels uh, or no witness. Witness is popular, but there's no witness. It's just... If there's, heari- if there's hearing, there's hearing. That's all. <laughs> so, um, to repeat, uh, the first kanda of form matter are just the physical aspects of things. The second kanda of feeling tone is this constant triage of experience into pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. The third uh, uh perception is like this huge filing cabinet we use to to categorize our uh experiences and put in little drawers or projection actually the fourth uh formations is this uh, uh potter creating recreating reacting and um the fifth consciousness, as I said, always this combination of object, sense organ, and contact. So what we perceive as self, in Buddhist terms, would be the coming together of these for one moment. These five kanda. and it takes a little feeling into it. It's, it's. A, I think for me, it's, it's a bit. An, uh, really an unusual way of looking at things, but it's quite interesting to to see if I can uh, look at a certain uh, specific situation with the lens of these five kanda. And um, I think it's uh, really the, the most useful is if we can use it in meditation to see how these... Five uh, come and and vanish, and uh, and also maybe seeing what the Buddha says. You know, we we cling to this this uh, what we perceive to be me or myself, and uh, to see how how this there's no really sol- really there's no solidity in that. That we, it's very difficult to grasp this and uh, that. We suffer if we try to and he he um, puts it quite bluntly in a few places to says, says that we are really the five kandas they chew us up there's a there's a discourse by the Buddha that's called chewed up <laughs> and uh, and they says and he just describes how these five chew us up. And I think it's really a, a, a just a drastic way of saying that we what the identification with the five kanda or the this image or uh, idea of self does to us. And uh, I also think it's important to keep in mind that the Buddha's teachings are all, always very pragmatic. He doesn't really teach metaphysical stuff. He, there's this famous saying where he says he, he has a few leaves in his hand and he says, what I teach are like these few leaves in my hand and what I don't teach, but, you know, in brackets, what I know but I don't teach is like the leaves in the forest because he says what he, he only teaches what really is applicable to... Uh, uh, reduce or to end suffering and uh, so for me that's a, an important hint that we should u- use this concept in meditation in practical terms and not just to make some idea of how the world works but uh, a tool to investigate with so uh, that's for the description of the kandas and a bit more and uh, So, uh, thirdly, the third part of my talk, I'd like to give a a few brief examples of how this could look in practical terms. So, um, I I don't know if it's just me, but I think there's very little air in here. Can can we maybe open the windows? It's Okay, if you doze off, but if I doze off, it's bad. (laughs) Thank you. So, um, it will be a very long time, but eventually there will be lunch again, and so I took that as a this is a very popular time of day, and I took that as a first example. So, if we imagine lunch, we're sitting there, first count matter, you would see the pizza, It's the pizza is warm, it has a physical quality, there you could check the four elements it's it's there's warmth in it hopefully there's not much movement but there <laughs> there's uh, there might be the a little air element from uh, coming up because of the warmth that that would be the first kanda the second kanda feeling tone you have the maybe the the pleasant taste of the food the pleasant smell of the food but the unpleasant overeating, which also happens quite frequently. And the perception is then what, what's naming there, what's happening to uh, what we're eating, what's happening. We call it dough, we call it mozzarella, we call it olives, we call it mushrooms, and we call it dessert. Dessert over on the counter, also very popular. And uh, the then the fourth kanda formations That's where volition and things come in. I want dessert. I'm still eating the pizza, but I want dessert. Uh, And uh, that person over there took two pieces. And uh, yesterday was much better than today and things like that. And then the last kanda in this example, the consciousness, you would have the taste of the food the tongue and the coming into contact would be the the tasting consciousness Uh, you'd have the smell and the nose and the coming into contact so the uh, consciousness of smelling you'd have the the eye, uh, seeing the pizza and uh, the the pizza, seeing the pizza and the contact would be the seeing consciousness a second example, uh, dancing. There w- will be no Dharma dancing here in this course, but uh, there have has been Dharma dancing in this hall, so it's not completely far-fetched. On the the first first uh, kanda matter, you'd feel uh, the body, maybe other bodies, the warmth, the the um, sound waves, maybe. On the second kanda feeling tone, you think maybe pleasant pleasant hearing the music, pleasant seeing people dancing, unpleasant sweating. Uh, on the level of perception, you give names to the things you see loudspeaker, you say I know this song, this is this and this song, these are colored lights. That's Peter over there, that's Jane over there, etc. And uh, formations, there might be joy, there might be judging, there might be pride, there might be envy. On um, fifth khanda, consciousness, would be the sound of the music, the ear and the contact. There might be the lights, the eye and the contact, or color and the eye and contact, etc. And uh, one last example, which is mm, the closest to all of you right now, is sitting meditation. In sitting meditation, the first khanda matter would be, you'd feel the body, the mat, there would be the blanket, there might be a draft, there might be heat, there might be sounds, the second kanda feeling to, uh, feeling tone, you might think the sounds are pleasant or unpleasant. You might indulge in a pleasant fantasy. You might feel the, the heat being unpleasant, or you might feel the draught being unpleasant. The third kanda perception, you would name what you what you experience, you'd say that's the teacher, that's Tara, that's candles, that's Buddha the fourth formation uh, formations there may be aversion towards the pain that you feel or there might be wanting of something else than that that's actually happening there might be self-judgment i should be a better meditator there might be pride i am a good meditator <laughs> it might be joy and again consciousness a sound coming into contact with your ear hearing consciousness a thought coming into contact with your heart mind uh contact contact of, uh consciousness of that thought an emotion coming into contact with your heart mind uh consciousness of that emotion and uh it, the uh, the well so much for the examples now a few uh to t- to end, the, a few things the Buddha said about Khanda. Uh, first, he made a comparison, which I think is quite interesting, uh, he, which sort of to, to characterize the five kanda, to, to describe a little bit how they are. And uh, he used the uh, descriptions uh, in order also to show that there's no substance in the five kanda. He said, uh, form... That's like foam swimming on a river. It, if you see the foam on the river, it appears quite solid at first. But then, when you touch it, and so you see, it immediately bursts. It's, there's no substance what whatsoever. It's it's uh, it seems solid, but in actual fact, it's very sensitive and very very vulnerable. And I think that uh, if we, if we look at the physical forms of our bodies, that's very true also. I mean, we, the a body seems very solid and so, but it just takes a tiny little stone in our shoes and that's really enough to ruin the day. It's really very... So you so see how, se- how sensitive uh, form is in, the, uh, in our body. Uh, the, he says, feeling tone, Vedana, it's uh, like... Water bubble when there has been a heavy rain and you have water bubbles they they just appear in a in a pool of water very shortly and they just they're hardly there and they've already disappeared again. they just last for seconds they're very in that sense also very unsatisfactory they just come and go immediately, very unreliable in a sense and of perception he says. That's like a a mirage, uh, Fata Morgana, it's like an illusion. You think you see something there, but there's nothing there really. It's really just an illusion. And uh, formations, Sankara, he says formations, they're like a man looking for some solid wood and he goes to a banana tree and the banana trees it looks like it's a tree but it's actually just leaves you take take it away it's hollow inside the, the, what looks like the stem of a tree is really just leaves and similarly the formations are just hollow there's no substance it seems from the outside like they're like they're strong and uh, so but really if you look at it properly there's nothing they're just hollow and consciousness, the fifth kanda, again, it's like a trick, like a trickster performing a magic trick on the on the road at the crossroads. We are deceived by it, and w- if we look closely, we see it's just a trick they played upon us. We believed it at first, but it's it's not really true. And he goes to quite some length to to. Uh, describe how unsatisfactory and how painful it is to, uh, to um, identify with the kanda And uh, tellingly, one sutta he talks about, it is called the burden. And I quote, A burden indeed are the five aggregates, the five kanda, And the carrier of the burden is the person. Taking up the burden in the word, world is stressful, casting off the burden is bliss, having cast off the heavy burden and not taking on another, pulling up craving along with its root, one is free from hunger, totally unbound. Unquote. So I think the operative words here are uh, um, pulling up craving. And it's it, this is just a reference to... This identification with the with these five khandas as a as something that we perceive as me as something that's solid something we can rely on when actually they're just coming together and falling apart from moment to moment. And uh, uh, he says so also in the second discourse I I already mentioned about. Uh, 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 the Anatalakana Sutta, the Discourse on Not-Self, where he says, you should really see properly, you should look at these five khandas coming together and just see, this is not me, this is not myself, this is not I. And he stresses it, I mean, there's always lots of repetition, but that's really a strong message in that second discourse. And he ends the second discourse with the statement that if you see things this way, if you see properly that these are just coming together for a moment, and that they're not this enduring I we think of, that that is really the release. And uh, he says the task is done if you see that properly. So there's uh, some potential in seeing the kandas <laughs> properly. And I think it's really about... It if i translate it for myself i think i think it's really about seeing that we are moment to moment beings it's the the unit of measure we, we can use to uh, to see ourselves in our lives is really the moment it's not it's not about a lifetime or even several lifetimes it's really about moments moments of coming together this moment is like this this moment's like this this moment's like this this moment's like this, this, moment's like this. It's changing all of the time, and I think w- and it w- in in a way it makes sense. But still, it's uh, it's difficult to see. And w- when thinking about why why is it so difficult to see, um, I come back to uh, David Loy again, the Buddhist author, who in his in his last book, the the world is made of stories. He says, I mean, this is also a story, the story of me, the story of I. And he says, uh, if you see that properly, I mean, you see uh, how we create these stories, the story of me or uh, any story, if we see that properly, um, there's freedom as a result, but there's also insecurity because there's nothing to hold on to. So... Uh, we look for a refuge in in trying to hold on to so we 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 really try to make the story solid and believable and is that the problem with that is that not only does the story get more solid and believable but so does all the suffering that goes along with it so see if you can accept the interconnectedness or emptiness of everything and seeing that see that we It's all uh, causes and conditions that in a sense this is an insecure place but on the other hand you could also say it's the only safe place there is because uh, that's the way it is if you look at it uh, without uh, ideas that that have no basis. And uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to try uh, y- using this in your meditation, just e- easily not you know having to remember all of these five things constantly, but just now and then just give it a little try, see if if it 's possible just doesn 't have to be more like a, a a play just see if you can make sense of that in your experience in your uh meditation and um I had a bit of a hard time finding the good ending to this talk, but as I started with the Heart Sutra and uh, uh, Chan Master Sheng Yen, I found another ch- Chinese not of the same uh, qualities, maybe uh, Mao Zedong, and I'd like to end with... <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to end with... Uh, my, this, he is not often quoted in here, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he says, Although my assertion, no investigation, no right to speak, has been ridiculed as narrow empiricism, to this day I do not regret having made it. Far from regretting it, I still insist that without investigation there cannot possibly be any right to speak. (laughs) End quote. So you don't have the right to speak anyway, even if you do investigate. But, but still, I, I, I encourage you to investigate in that sense. So, thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.